What have you been pursuing? What will you be pursuing? And what are we about to do? Those are three really good questions. And as we approach our text this morning, hopefully we will come with our hearts and minds ready to hear what God wants to say. And uh, one of the things that this text is really going to hit us hard on is um, our presumptive nature. The things that we just automatically assume or presume or presuppose about God and us, about our lives. And we get a text like this, which is a rather small one, but it is rather profound in how it comes to us. And I have spent a lot of time this week reading commentator after commentator after commentator who for the most part gets it right and simultaneously misses the point. And I'm really convicted that I just don't want that to be me today. And I don't want that to be you today. So here we are, bigger context, gathering together as the people of God, celebrating in a particular way the Lord's Supper this morning as we remember God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. And again, it's not just let's slow down and not take that for granted because there are some things that just slowing down doesn't fix either. Our text, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read it. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 31. I'll pause at a particular point, but other than that, I'm not going to really add a lot of commentary at the very beginning because of the brevity of its nature. Beginning in verse 21, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even when the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And then a summary statement here where Matthew begins to expand upon Jesus in a not focused uh, confrontation, focused uh, gift of mercy, act of mercy, but now kind of a big picture of what Jesus was doing. And 
Verse 29, and Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up upon a mountain, and he sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. That is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And what you and I get to do around this text and around this table this morning is see this incredible picture of a very strange place and a very strong faith and an even more amazing Savior. First of all, when you go back and look at this text, the first thing that you might miss is this very strange place. I don't know how well you know um, biblical geography, but let's just assume you haven't been reading an atlas this morning. Jesus, in, in the last few chapters, has been up in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. If you remember last week, some Jewish professionals, some religious experts traveled from the southern region in Jerusalem all the way up north to confront Jesus because he's not playing by the rules. Jesus answers them rather harshly about the futility of their faith and the selfishness of their faith. Now, he's in the Galilee region where he is very, very popular. And instead of staying there, he actually travels kind of northwest up to what we would now know as um, southern Lebanon to the area where these two great cities exist, Tyre and Sidon. And these two cities are, are known in the Old Testament for being very powerful cities, very strong cities of trade and, 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 and literally military strength, military power. They also are cities that are not only known for being proud and successful, but cities that fall under God's judgment because they are very proud and successful. And so notice what's happening in the text, and this is what happens when you, you, know, when you guys go home for a week and then come back next Sunday. I don't know how many of you were waking up and going, where were we last week? Oh yeah, people came up from Jerusalem. I mean, how many of you were thinking about that, right? No, I get it. So here Jesus has already confronted these people who should know better and they can't seem to get it. And he's in this very popular region and he travels, well, he just travels probably where a good Jewish person should go. I mean, you're going to run into Gentiles. You're going to run into Canaanites. You're going to run into very proud and successful people who really don't know who God is, who don't appreciate God for all that he has done. And Jesus goes into this region to do something. <laughs> Actually, it almost looks like in Matthew's gospel, like he is going there because he has a message to preach. And yet we already know that Jesus has made it very clear when he sent out the disciples, I don't want you going everywhere. I don't want you going outside of this picture of the Israel people. I want you to stay in here. He will tell them later, I want you to go to the far ends of the earth. But right now it's, no, I want you to stay and I want you to talk to those people who are from Abraham, who know the story. I want to, to begin. It looks like God's plan is to begin there. But no, he goes to a very strange place, Tyre and Sidon. 
Now, one other very interesting part about Tyre and Sidon is not only were they very proud and were they very successful and they did fall under God's judgment from the prophets of the Old Testament, but Jesus has talked about them. In in Matthew's gospel, Jesus pointed out to those people in the region of the Galilee, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Chorazon, for on the day of judgment, cities like Tyre and Sidon will, will rise up and condemn you because someone greater than the prophets is here and you're rejecting him. If, if, if I were to go to Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. This is a very common theme that we see in the Bible and particularly in Matthew's gospel. That those people who think they get it, those people who presume that they have it, are the ones that always miss it And those people who are, and I'm just going to use the word, I'll be using a bunch in this sermon, those who are humble of heart, those who have the ability to come before God and realize who they are standing before are the ones that seem to receive the wonderful gifts of the kingdom of God. And this just happens over and over and over again. And Jesus goes to a place, a surprising place, a very strange place, Tyre and Sidon. What about Jerusalem? What about, what about your hometown? What about, what about those people that are yours? And Jesus goes to this different place and he meets a very strange person, a Canaanite woman. Now, now first of all, you've got the issue of um, Jew versus Gentile. And, and literally, the cities of Tyre and Sidon were, were Canaanite, probably more likely Phoenician. And so there are problems that the Jews have had with the Samaritans. John 4, Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman, and she's shocked that he would talk with her. And now Jesus is talking to a Canaanite woman. Well, not yet, actually. Actually, interestingly enough, if you look at the text, he's not talking to her. She is coming after him, and she is begging him, and she is pleading with him. And what you get over and over and over again, this is where you need to buckle up in terms of your understanding of who Jesus is. Are you ready for this? There is this woman in tremendous need and Jesus is, swallow hard here, ignoring her. You okay with that? And and by the way, I don't know if Jesus is in heaven going, I sure hope they're okay with it. I would have done it differently if I would have known that it would have somehow offended your modern sensibilities. Jesus, if we're just reading the text, this woman is coming after him and coming after him and begging him and begging him, and he will not say a word to her. To the point where the disciples seem to get what's going on, and they're like, Jesus, if you're not going to talk with her, send her away. She's annoying. And Jesus doesn't turn to his disciples and go, Guys, you are so not nice. We have a very strange place and we have a very strange woman and to them, Jesus gives this statement. So now he's got the disciples and there's this woman. There appears to be some kind of a crowd and this is what Jesus says. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so first of all, Jesus isn't giving this woman in need the time of day and now Jesus is saying that he didn't even come for her. It's so easy for us to skip over these texts, right? 
for us to just completely disregard these things. We are so busy. And when I say we, I literally mean we. We are so busy trying to make Jesus into some figure, some fashion that would fit my own modern sensibilities, that would fit my own, my own modern um, conception, preconception, presuppositions about who God is and how he's here to bless me and about how he's here to do what I want. And Jesus speaks very clearly on this. I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. I'm going to ask you again, like, are you okay with that? Are, are you okay with the fact that God has, and this is where I think it really begins to hit, hits me, like God has an agenda. Like God has a plan. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, but at the very center of God's plan is not you. And, and I know what some of you are thinking, yeah, that's right, Jim, it's not them, it's me. No, it's not, weirdly enough, I, I would even argue in a very real sense, it's not even us. Like God has a plan in this world. Let me, let me, let me re-say this word because I think sometimes we, we fail to grasp this notion. God. God. I'm, 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 re I'm reading a book right now and uh, it's really challenging a lot of my thoughts about the way that we do church over the last 50 to 100 years. And one of the statements, one of the accusations made is this, warning preachers, God is not man said in a loud voice. Let me say that again. God is not man said in a loud voice. Here, here's the complaint that literally we are so about ourselves, we are so about our agenda, we are so about our needs, that in fact we may be missing something. We may be missing an incredible meal prepared for us. And why do we miss it? Because we are so wrapped up in us. Jesus goes to this very strange place. Jesus is dealing with this very strange woman. And here's what he says, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. What he's saying is, is that God has a plan and God made a promise to a very specific person, Abraham, and now he's fulfilling that promise. And I am here. And the angel said to my mother, if Jesus would expand upon this, Jesus would say, and an angel said to my mother that he will save his people from their sins. And this is the plan of Jesus, and this is the plan of the Messiah, and nothing will distract him from it. Are you ready for this? Nothing will distract Jesus from it. Not the devil. Hey, Jesus, I, I, got, an all, I got an easier way. I got an alternative path for you to be glorified and to receive the kingdoms of the world. And, and hear me, like not even the apparent needs of people. Hey, come over here, Jesus, I really need you. Just like it's interesting that, that children that seem to think that the most pressing need is the most immediate need, the one eternal need is the one immediate need. And how many of you as parents go, oh, you are so cute, but you just don't understand. Like I know that McDonald's in the next 10 minutes is the most important thing in the world, but it really isn't. Like I know opening the presents right now, because it's December 4th and I put the first ones under the tree and you can imagine waiting one more day. I'm telling you, right? Have you, ever, have you ever done this to a child, saw them just, you don't understand, I just need, I just have, I just. 
And Jesus looks at this woman and says, Jesus speaks to his disciples and reminds them, I've just come for the lost sheep of Israel. But what's interesting about this text is that it doesn't end there. Like that's not the end of the story. Like Jesus doesn't go, I'm not for the lost sheep, or I'm only for the lost sheep of Israel, and therefore go away. He doesn't, he leaves it. And not only do we see this very strange place with this very strange woman, but we see a very strong faith. We see a persistent mother. Now again, you and I can try to understand, boy, if it was my kid, I would have done anything. I would have swallowed my pride. I would have humbled myself. And that's what this woman did. This woman literally, I'm not gonna give up. I'm not going to give up because I know that he is the one. And since God is not man said in a loud voice, there is something utterly different about this one and I'm not going to give up. And so they get into this conversation. Jesus says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Do you realize what he just said? Do you realize what he just called her? Maybe not directly. I don't know if he's, if he's trying to. I think the commentators even make a mistake in, in reading to. I think he's speaking about a general truth. If I've come to the lost children of Israel, then I need to stay focused. And he makes it very, very clear. It is the children of Israel that I've come to feed. It is the children of Israel that I've come to focus my ministry on. And there's no way around that. That's true. And Jesus makes this statement, and again, listen to this. Instead of her being offended, instead of her being put out, instead of her putting her hands on, I am so telling my mother. I am so gonna go back and ruin, I am putting this one on Facebook. I cannot believe that you, right? Instead of any of that, this woman, again, at some level, understands who she is talking to enough to persist. And by the way, everything that Jesus is saying, I I know, I would argue this, I know it is confronting our modern sensibilities. It really doesn't seem to be bothering her. There's no indication in the text that she's mad, put out, offended. And she quips back at him this statement. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Like, like she's, she's willing, now she doesn't get a seat here, okay? So she can't, but she is willing to, to be down here groveling and just grabbing the crumbs that fall from our lazy mouths. She is so in awe, so enamored. She is so, if I dare say it, impressed with who Jesus is that anything she gets is worth it for her. And so she's willing to crawl around here and eat food that you would never, I would never, un, I would never be so undignified as to. And this woman says, I don't know, my need is so great, that could be part of it. Jesus is so good, I think that's the real part of it. That I will take anything at any cost. Because I understand who I am. I understand my need. I understand my desperation. And and now I'm beginning to understand that you are the only one that can fix this. And she persists. 
Now, now this is where if Jesus were to just excuse her, which he doesn't, if Jesus were to just blow her off, then, then I have to admit, I, I wouldn't understand it. I, I wouldn't know what to do with it, but he doesn't. He, he does exactly like Jesus always does. The, 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 God always does this. God, Jesus. They always do this, that when someone who is even on the outside looking in with bloody knuckles scraping at the door, they won't quit knocking. When they keep doing that in their, in their, in their humbleness, in their desire to just receive anything from him, God reaches down out of the most amazing, generous kindness and blesses them. The Bible's full of it. Adam and Eve knew better. And God said, on the day of which you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And Adam lived till 920. (laughs) Now he still died. And God graced him with years of life. The Old Testament's actually full of it, where, where God would continually show kindness to those who would just get a glimpse, an understanding of who they are, of who he is, and the amazing difference between the two. See, we've actually spent way too much time talking about Tyre and Sidon, way too much time talking about this woman, even about her faith, because really what this text is trying to show us is this perfect Messiah. Perfect. We spent some time this week talking in our staff, how do you explain Jesus' rudeness? Calling her a dog? Be exclusive if there's one thing you cannot be in our society is exclusive. To ever say that this is somehow a club. Now, by the way, if you form a club, that makes total sense. I'm always amazed at the number of parents that love to notify other parents about how their kids aren't fitting in and about how there's always going to be a clique. And, and, and really what they're saying is, I'm really upset that my kid isn't in that clique. It's amazing how every one of us wants to pretend that we are the most inclusive and inviting and welcoming people in the world. And, and then I find out, wow, you had a party, you didn't even invite me. Wow, you have you had a group that I'm not even a part of. So really, we're, we're okay with it on our terms, but we're offended by it on God's terms. And what we actually see here is Jesus being perfect. Not being rude, being perfect. If you ever read the Bible and God seems to somehow not be doing what you think he should be doing, realize that that's you being wrong and him being right. Did you know that? If there ever is a point where God says something or where Jesus does something and you cannot believe that he would do that, who needs to change? And and, and this this is the part that so infuriates our last 50 to 100 years of our Western modern sensibilities that there are whole families, whole groups of people that are missing out on God's amazing grace. They are missing out on this meal because they still believe that God should come to them on their terms. They do not see this perfect Messiah, Jesus. And they're offended by him. I I find it interesting. I read a number of commentaries about this. The majority of the commentators spend the majority of their time trying to figure out how do we interpret the word for dog? 
Okay, I, I know you're gonna love this because I, I, I've got a whole bunch of evidence that says that it's actually used, for those of you that are Greek scholars, in the diminutive case, which means it's not like dog, it's more like puppy. In, in which case, Jesus wasn't trying to be rude, he's not calling her a dog, he's calling her a puppy. And the majority, of, they're, they're trying to figure out a way, how do we make Jesus palatable for a modern society that has its own definition of kindness, its own definition of inclusive, its own definition of, and it was rather comical that I just saw commentator after commentator, preacher after preacher, falling all over themselves going, how do I explain that Jesus is doing what Jesus is going to do and how do I explain that to people today? Because what if they don't come back next Sunday? And yet there is a woman in this story who is not offended. There's a woman in this story who does not give up, who does not quit, who persists to the end. Why? Because she understands, A, that Jesus is drawing apart. I don't even think, I think the whole conversation about the, the dog statement is reading far too much into it. What Jesus is saying is, listen, there is an order to God's plan. And he didn't ask for like, like opinions about it. He didn't ask us exactly how this was all going to work. And I think so many of us wrestle with the Christian life, wrestle with our situation, our own relationship with God, because we still think that we're like a managing partner in this. We still think that somehow there are parts of the contract that we can negotiate. And, and we love to stand up, and the amazing part is, do you realize that you believe things that your grandchildren in a few years will think is silly, is archaic? Actually, I would even say this. I bet you, you believe things right now that you did not believe 40 years ago. Our modern sensibilities have a shelf life of about a generation. And, and the part that is really, really sad is that we forget and we lose out on who Jesus is in the, pro in the process. To understand what is ultimately happening here, the, 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 the desire of Matthew to kind of present this amazing Jesus who, who is perfectly kind, who is perfectly generous, who is perfectly wonderful, and he is helping this woman understand the need. This is who God blesses. God blesses those with persistent faith. Luke tells a story about two people who go up to a temple to pray, one being a Pharisee and one being a tax collector. The Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray and prays a prayer like this, oh God, thank you for making me who I am. I'm such a religious expert, I'm such a noble person, I've got all these wonderful things, and I just wanna thank you for making me as wonderful as I am. And then this, this tax collector goes up, and he will not even look up to heaven, but he beats his breast and says this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus' comment on that parable is this, which one do you believe went home justified that day before God? For God will humble those who exalt themselves and he will exalt those who are humble. And so what I do not want to do here today is to try to somehow 
manipulate this text to fit yours and mine modern sensibilities. But today, especially on a day when we get to gather around this table, to stop and ask, to, to what extent would you go to receive eternal life? Like, how grateful are you that God, that Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something that he would just hold on to, but he gave himself. And he humbled himself, and he became a man, and he kept humbling himself. He became a servant, and then he died on a cross for us. You know, we, we would say, this woman realized how little she had to give Jesus. Really, the answer is, is that you and I, when we realize how little, that little is actually nothing. For it is by grace that you and I have been saved. And this is not of ourselves, so that none of us can boast. Last week, as you know, I was at Youthquake. And they have, we have a tradition here. At the very end of Youthquake, um, the graduates have notes written by their parents. The, uh, everybody stands up and <laughs> applauds how wonderful these graduates are. And I, I just couldn't help but listen, and, and maybe because I had this text actually running through my mind, that I began to realize, I mean, I don't, I don't know if parents actually said it like this. I don't know if the friends actually said it. I don't know if I actually said it like this, but it was kind of like, you know, Max, I just want you to know how lucky God is to have you. You're an amazing young man. You are so gifted and so true and so intelligent and so, and I pray that God will bless your journey wherever you will go, and it's all about Max. And I just kept hearing these stories over and over and over again about how wonderful, and are our graduates not just the most wonderful people in the world? And are you and I not just the most amazing people in the world? Like, is God not lucky to have us? Like, think of all the gifts and all of the abilities in this room. Do you realize how lucky God is? Boy, that's just nowhere near true. Do you realize how blessed we are to have him? Like, do you realize just there is nothing that we could have ever done to receive this incredible meal? And, and you're not here and you're not part of God's family because of any of your abilities, but because of who Jesus is. And do you realize that you and I would be, would be absolutely blessed if we just crawled on the floor and ate the scraps from this meal? Because God is that good. And you and I, if we really want to be honest, should be that desperate. Should be that desperate. And I know what's happening right now. There are a lot in this room going, uh-uh, we shouldn't be that desperate. We shouldn't be that desperate. I, I really believe this text is saying only those that are that desperate, only those that are that self-aware, only those that understand the fullness of who Jesus Christ is can fully appreciate the meal that we are about to eat. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for this text and this reminder and for the confrontation of my own modern sensibilities. God, the fact that you truly are more worthy 
than we understand. And Father, let's not ever fail to see that in your kindness, you are incredibly generous, that you healed this woman's daughter, that you care more, you care more for us, even in our brokenness, than we fail to understand. That God, it's not anywhere near as simple as we are unworthy, therefore we should just lay on the floor. But that God, by understanding who you are, by understanding our desperate need, only then do we realize that we are children who eat at the table. And so I thank you, Father, for Jesus and for the truth about him and the fact that he came to save us. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.